People, Process, Technology. Talks with practitioners about everyday life in the technology industry. This broadcast is supported by OWASP, the Open Web Application Security Project, host of Call to Battle, a series of events for gamers, challenge champs, and fun nerds. Get more information at owasp.org events. And by Jupiter One, allowing you to know more and fear less through direct relationship mapping of all of your cyber assets. When Shannon Leitz and the team at DevSecOps.org published the DevSecOps Manifesto six years ago, security was uppermost in their minds. The manifesto starts with a call to arms. Through security as code, we have and will learn that there is simply a better way for security practitioners like us to operate and contribute value with less friction. We know we must adopt our ways quickly and foster innovation to ensure data security and privacy issues are not left behind because we were too slow to change. The effect of the DevSecOps movement was not understood by many other than a handful of practitioners who understood what the team was going after. Security is the responsibility of everyone, not just the security team. Security deserves a seat at the DevOps table. Fast forward six years and security now is not just at the table, but sitting at the head of the table leading the way. During this transition to focus on security, Operations has become the short leg on a three-legged stool. What was originally a two-team party, DevOps, became a threesome, gradually ignoring operations as developers and security built a strong relationship. Damon Edwards has been my go-to person when I want to talk with someone about how operations continues to be relevant as the third part of DevSecOps. I caught up with Damon a couple weeks back to talk with him about how the transition to enterprise automation is going in the industry, what has been happening in the past year with the COVID lockdown, and what he's looking forward to in 2021. I started the conversation asking how he perceives his role in the DevSecOps community. In my mind, Damon, you and Alex have always been the champions of the operations part of DevSecOps. Whenever there was a question that came up about how does operations and how are they affected by this DevOps and DevSecOps movement, you guys were the go-to guys. Do you agree with that assessment? Yeah, I think the enterprise was really where we shined, right? And I think that we became, um, I think, very well known as being the folks that could help people take what they see, <clears throat> excuse me, on stage and port that to what happens in a large enterprise. When you say on right? stage, are you talking about DevOps Enterprise Summit and places like that? Yeah, and those days it was really DevOps days, right? Or, or you know, there's a bunch of other conferences, but the idea was, you know, I think, you know, DevOps was kind of like a, um, I've heard it best described as an open source movement, right? Um, you know, it's kind of, it was really by practitioners trying things and saying, hey, you know, here's these new ideas out, out, out there. Um, and a lot more based on lean um, and agile, right? Um, or really kind of, you know, looking, agile was sort of the, 
one of one of the precursors, but I think people are looking back even further, looking at the roots of Agile, which was you know kind of lean and the Toyota production system and all and all and all of uh, and all of that. And what you know was going on on the stages, people were saying, "Hey, look, this is what we're doing in, in these companies. This is how how we're applying these techniques to get this throughput and this quality, uh, this velocity as 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 an organization um, that before was frankly unheard of, right? Um, you know, we used to talk about you know, 10 plus deploys a day, right? That was the original, one of the early, uh, you know, Allspa, uh, John Allspa and Paul Hammond, they're kind of one of the seminal moments of the DevOps movement was they weren't calling it DevOps, just explaining how they worked at Flickr. People were just mind blown. How do you go to production 10 times a, 10 times a day, right? And so, you know, but the idea was because they need to be a fast learning organization and a fast moving organization. Those ideas, hey, you know, if you, if you build from scratch, right? If you start from a single kind of purpose, uh, business like a like a Flickr was, you know, at that at that time, you can kind of build this test lab and 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 try new things. But then when you get to the enterprise, that's you don't really have that luxury, right? You do maybe on the development side, you can kind of peel things off and and say we're going to do this thing greenfield, and you have a special code word, and if you say that code word to security or infrastructure or anybody else, you know, the bureaucracy will fly away, and whatever you need will will show up at your uh, at your feet. You know, that works for a while, but then you got to realize, well, hey, how do we bring these ideas into the mainstream here? How do we look at the, uh, the, the legacy of success that we've, that we've had here that's built us this, or, or has left us with all these layers of technologies and processes and tooling and people's mindsets? Um, and, you know, how do we apply this to, 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 to all of that, right? And I think, you know, where um, our previous consulting experience, right, before we did uh, Rundeck, was really going into, <clears throat> excuse me, operations organizations, right? And saying, hey, how's this gonna impact you, right? To look at it, it's, it's DevOps, right? It's dev and ops, right? But a lot of people are sort of forgot the ops part. It was all about <clears throat> the world ended at deployment, right? And, and operations is not just deployment. There's a whole lot, more, whole lot more, more, more to it, right? So for us, we're saying, hey, all these pressures are coming your way. How are we gonna change this organization? If we don't change how we operate, then all that work we did on the front end of the pipeline is is for naught, right? Because it's like, look, we're you know we got this salad shooter that's firing off uh, you know new releases, um, but if the rest of the of the of the of the organization is stuck in you know that kind of legacy concrete and we can't get out of our out of our own way, when you step back far enough and you look at the whole end end life cycle, we're not seeing a lot of improvement, right? So that's kind of how we got to be well known as going in sort of from the operations direction um, and helping figure out, well, how do we get these organizations transformed? It's not, it's nothing different than what was going on in these sort of purpose, special built, you know, um, web scale uh, companies who pioneered a lot of these techniques. The, the core techniques aren't different. It's just sort of how you apply it and sort of, you know, and what methods you use and what unique uh, problems you encounter in the enterprise because of the scale and the focus on longevity and like I said, the history of success that accumulates all of that, um, you know, kind of past ways of working and past ways of thinking and past infrastructure. That was our bag, you know, enterprise focused uh, DevOps transformations. And that really, you know, led us to uh, what we did with Rundeck. Rundeck was kind of, you know, part of that consulting toolkit. It was a necessary piece that was missing there, the Runbook automation side of things. You know, seeing what happens at the enterprise, seeing when you have that scale, how do you spread that operational knowledge? How do you how do you do these new organizational uh, structures if you don't have the tooling that could help you encapsulate 
here's the knowledge for how we invoke these things, how we execute this stuff. What, you know, how do you, um, how do you know what to, uh, uh, what to do and what order, what parameters to provide it. And you got to do this across all this different tooling that you have for all different layers of your infrastructure. And then I got to turn it around and hand it off to different, to different people. Right. That was the, so that was the, the, the gap that Rundeck was filling and as an open source project got to be quite popular. And then, uh, you know, we built, um, Rundeck the company to uh, build, um, you know, the enterprise version that kind of meet those bigger enterprise needs and provide support and services and, you know, everything else around it. You implicitly here are talking about very complex systems. Yeah. Uh, one of the problems that I would think that you and Alex and the team have had to tackle, and one of the things we're trying to tackle at Jupiter One too, is the ability to have visibility and granularity in that visibility to find out, as you said, what should we be working on here? Um, you know, once upon a time, we would think that we could keep things in our head. Things were small enough, right? That we have this mental model and that mental model was kind of, you know, for better or for worse, we thought it was, it was, uh, it was true. And, you know, what's happened is we've, we've entered this new kind of complex era of, of complexity where if you look at, not only the scale of the things that we're working on, but you look at like things like the microservices architectures, right? That that um, uh, you know that have become have become uh, popular, and all the technologies that enable that. We have these kind of large ephemeral, um, uh, you know, complex systems. And one of the hallmarks of a complex system is that you can never really fully understand it, <laughs> right? That you can't compose it down into uh, you know, smaller, uh, decompose it down into smaller pieces and say, well, I understand how this piece works. So therefore, are all the pieces work? So therefore, I understand how the bigger system is going to work. It's like the idea of working on a, uh, like an F1, uh, you know, like race car, you know, power plant or engine or whatever they, whatever they call it, right? That's a complicated thing. I can model it. I can break it down into its individual pieces and in, especially with aids with the help of a computer. And I can know if I change this gear or change this shape, how it's going to impact that, 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 that system, right? I can model all these things, things out. But if you think about like a traffic pattern in a city, I can never truly understand that. I can never fully model that. I can have ideas, um, but then I get all kinds of un unintended consequences of things I try and, and whatnot. So, you know, the way you need to interact with, 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 with these complex systems is to be able to, you know, kind of get these fast feedback loops, to be able to learn and say, ah, what's going on with this, with this, you know, what do I think is going on with this system? Let me try this. What happened? Okay. Let me try that. What happened? Right. So to do this, you sort of need two mechanisms. One is, that you said like that, that focus on the visibility or the observability, right? The ability to sense these signals from the different parts of the system and understand, you know, in, in the best you can, what's, what's uh, you know, what's, what's going on. And then you also need the tooling um, to be able to, uh, you know, to try different things, to be able to, you know, to, for lack of a better term, experiment in real time and uh, make adjustments and see how that impacts the, uh, the system. And, you know, one of my favorite quotes about these complex systems, uh, Charity Majors uh, from Honeycomb, uh, you know, she says that these complex distributed systems, you're always in this, in this, in this funny um, realm of where you have this seemingly endless supply of almost impossible failure scenarios, <laughs> right? Things that you can never, you would never plan for. That, like, that's never going to happen. Like the magic bullet that's going to find its way through all the Swiss cheese holes to, you know, find the soft spot in this, uh, uh, and your, uh, your environment it, and, and it's going to happen and it's never going to happen again. Right. 
And so, you know, that's one of the hallmarks of the, again, that complex, uh, that complex system. We have to remember, it's not just the, 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 the physical uh, hardware, wherever in the world that may, that may be. It's not just the software that we build and install on top of it, but it's all the user activity interacting with that, that makes it right. So the, the user traffic, the patterns that occur there, the, um, you know, what our cloud providers, what they do, right? How our own people interact with the system. It's the human beings are their own complex system interacting with this, with this complex system that we've built out of our, you know, infrastructure and these, and these uh, microservices. So if you aren't thinking complexity and you aren't thinking, you know, what are my strategies to try to, you know, counteract and, uh, and adapt um, to whatever is going to come my way that I don't know what's going to, what's what that's going to be from these complex systems. You're really behind the eight ball. If you don't, if you aren't thinking about building those types of uh, capabilities. The thing that interests me right now, Damon, and you know, you and I have known each other for five, seven years and interests shift mm-hmm. right now for me, what you just talked about basically was people uh, process and technology, all of those three trying to be one yeah. giant thing. And what we're missing and what I'm interested in at this point in my career is with what are the relationships between those three legs of the stool? Because everybody is either looking at people or they're looking at technology or process. What happens when you look at the relationships between those? Yeah. Funny, I don't, I, don't, I don't know if that's a softball question on purpose, but uh, thank you for, <laughs> for, uh, for asking that because it's actually directly in line with a lot of what the, what the thinking is behind what we've been trying, what we have been doing with, uh, with Rundeck is it's, it's the human to tool interaction. You have all these tools in place, right? And whether they're, there's monitoring tools, there's ticket tools and the, you know, it's in management tools and the, in the things that we need to, you know, to give the signals to people to go and do things. Um, you know, uh, there's all the monitoring in place. There's all the automation we got in place, right? We've got shell scripts, PowerShell script, chef, puppet, Ansible, probably a lot of CF engine out there. And, you know, there's blade logic and I mean, you see everything, right. And it's, you know, go back further. It's Opsware, right. And now it's, oh no, it's all cloud native. So it's all going to be a bunch of APIs, but you know, you've, you've got, you know, all of these elemental kind of tools, right. And then you've got said so the monitoring signals that tell you that something's going on. And then you've got the, the, those communication tools, the ticket and tickets and the incident, uh, uh, incident response tools what connects those together, right? It's these experts in your, in your, in your, in your organization. So you end up building these or end up happening as you get these, these bottlenecks where it's like, I got to go to Mark every time because Mark is the one that knows how to invoke, knows how to read the signals, knows how to communicate that to other people through the, you know, the tickets and instant response tools. And then he knows how to invoke all those tools and where to invoke them and, you know, how to do it and, and, uh, and whatnot. So Rundeck, you know, and really as an open source tool, it was, you know, kind of a, a box of parts for a long time, a Swiss army knife of different things, but where the community led us to is it's gotta be that thing in the middle, right? It's where we have to be able to, how do we take that expertise out of Mark's head, right? And say, well, what are the things Mark looks for in these signals, right? Well, let's but create a run that the job. Old expert system from 20 years ago, we're going to build expert systems. Sure. In some ways, you know, I mean, it's kind of like also, you know, we use the term runbook automation, right? Runbook automation existed, you know, um, in the past as, uh, as well. So, yeah, I mean, we're not, we're not, um, like all things, I don't think we're purely reinventing the, uh, the wheel. This has been a problem for a long time, right? I just think we're, we're taking a different, a different approach. I think the expert system is more about, um, you know, how do I replace Mark, right? 
Um, and what we're trying to say is it's not about replacing Mark. It's about two things. Number one, keeping unnecessary problems off of Mark, right? So Mark can focus on the things that he, that, that he needs to focus on. So you got a lot of repetitive things, things that, oh, we just go to Mark for that, go to Mark for that, right? So now we can take those things, that toil, take, keep it off of Mark. You can create self-service that somebody else can safely do that instead of, uh, mm -hmm. uh, in, instead, of in, in, instead of you. And then when you turn around and you're springing to action, how do we make it so you can act faster, right? There's different things you might need from other folks. You can drive those, or you can put standardization into this, right? To say, hey, this is like, how would we know, how do you know if, if this segment of the network is healthy, right? Well, there's probably somebody in your organization that knows the 20 different kind of system commands that they could rattle off on the keyboard real fast that will diagnose what's going on with the network, right? Well, take that, put that into a run deck job. Now we've got a standard way to do that. Now you, Mark, our expert, when you spring into action, you can use that, right? And you can build these, these layers of, of knowledge for, for those two reasons. One, to keep the problems off of you. And two, to also push control closer to the problems or closer to the people that, that are making, uh, that are doing the work, right? They're making the, you know, that, that need this work from you. And that way you're staying out of their way. They can move quicker, right? And you're avoiding all of that, um, you know, interruption that comes your way. So in an incident scenario, it's push control closer to the problem. You get shorter incidents. People could solve things quicker and you get fewer escalations, which is really disruptive to these, you know, kind of larger or, or organizations or in just a plain service request context, like, Hey, uh, I need this, you know, um, I need this environment updated, or I need this particular, you know, maintenance to happen, or I need this report to be run or, you know, whatever it might be for, you know, deployment, maintenance, security, whatever the, you know, the kind of, uh, non the peacetime, right. The non, the non wartime, non incident time, um, all those requests flying by, you know, I can now empower those so people can help themselves. So there's faster turnaround time. I'm, I'm, I'm making sure that, that, you know, the work keeps moving and also there's fewer interruptions, right? So um, I can let my experts focus on the things that they have to do to get things, to get things, uh, to get things done. So, no, you know, just, it's uh, an evolution of those, of those previous ideas. It's a logical point to give Gene a shout out for Brent because you're using Mark as the example, but Brent is the real example, right? For the, yeah, yeah. If you haven't yeah. read the Phoenix Project and the Unicorn Project, Brent is the epitome of what you just described. Yeah, and it it becomes a real weak point to you know these or, these organizations, and it's kind of like it's sort of it's a very lean idea, right? So in the lean world, you know, heroics is actually a waste. You know, it's the idea that you appreciate the effort and you appreciate that you have the Brent or the Mark or the whoever that can be the expert and, 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 you know, take heroics when needed. But the problem is, is it becomes where the heroics becomes essential to, to the day-to-day -day operations of your organization, right? That's where it becomes a problem. So you need the, you need the system to function smoothly and responsively and very quickly without heroics, right? That's what you need to, to uh, you need, you need to get to, because otherwise two things happen. The heroics becomes, it becomes a bottleneck, right? Um, it becomes a failure point and also you're going to burn that thing out. Right. And so if you run one, you know, one, one, uh, one machine on your factory floor at 120% of the, you know, of the, uh, of the max, uh, <laughs> speed, it's going to blow up. Right. And when that blows up, everything blows up around it. You know, it's this idea that you want to, you want to, um, enable the heroics when, you know, and, and, and have that heroic effort. But you don't want you don't want to make it necessary for um, your day to day operations. You, you should look at it as a bad thing. We shouldn't have had to put that pressure 
on Mark or on Brent or whoever, whoever, whoever it could be, we should be able to get by without that, you know, and that way we're using all their expertise that allow them to be that, to be that, that hero, to do other things, to move the business forward, to do things that, that both excite them, right. As an individual and excites the, uh, and excites the business or move the moves, moves the business forward. Speaking of exciting, uh, be a good way to kind of round this discussion out. What are you seeing right now that's exciting? I mean, you've been you've been here since the beginning. What are you looking at now? The exciting part, I think, is we're actually, I think, finally addressing the interaction of the machines and the humans. Um, I, I think that we've had this kind of tension where, oh, it's automation, right? Automation is for the human to work faster. It's for the, to support the human, right? And then we've had this other side. It's like, you know, automation is going to get rid of the human. AI ops, right? AI ops should make humans and operations unnecessary, right? Um, and I think, you know, that's a, um, you know, no ops, right? That was a big, that was the previous kind of discussion around this. And just like I think you mentioned before, we were talking that the no ops you know, thing was funny because you had a lot of developers saying, you know, give me root, right? Just give me root. I want to get in there, right? And then you give them the pager and you give them access and then they, you know, goes off in the middle of the night and they're like, take it back. <laughs> right. I didn't, I didn't really, I didn't really want that. Right. And so um, I, I think there's been this kind of, you know, feel, feeling our way through this as an industry. And I think we're starting to, you know, see that there's sort of two uses of automation in the world. And I think this also pulls from what we've learned from, from other kind of safety critical or mission, you know, uh, 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 critical um, domains, like, you know, aircraft carry uh, aircraft and, uh, you know, nuclear power plants and, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, medical operating rooms, right? There's been a lot of research in those areas about how to effectively have automation and humans work together. And I think, you know, we've seen a lot of that kind of come into our, um, our, our end of the world, uh, you know, as of, as of late. And I think what they what we've learned from that, what we're seeing now is that, you know, there's sort of two roles for, for automation and both of them are designed to support the human. One of them is more like the Iron Man suit, right? Which is like, hey, we need to, when the humans get involved, we need to augment their capabilities, right? We need to empower them with, you know, all the expert capabilities that anybody in the organization could do. It's like this Iron Man suit that makes them, you know, that, that elevates elevates the human and the human brain can do what it needs to, to do. And then their side of automation, which I think is where I think AI ops is kind of, you know, is, 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 is correctly uh, settling into is about how do I create almost for lack of a better term, these little robots, right? Automation that will keep a lot of this workload and problems off of those humans so they can focus on the things that the things that matter. Again, it's not about replacing those humans. It's about how do I keep the workload off of them? How do I quiet the noise? How do I, um, you know, run the kind of, you know, routine responses that I know I'm, that they're going to have to run? How can I try things before even a human logs in, right? How do I try to keep the workload down so I can make sure that those humans can respond with their Iron Man suits and uh, you know get things done when it matters and have the best outcomes for our customers and ourselves and whatnot. So I feel like what's really interesting is after sort of these you know uh, last decade of kind of uh, different automation wars, I think um, you know we're finally starting to see a clearer picture as to what the role of automation is. It's really there to support the human. And sometimes that's the Iron Man uh, direction. Sometimes that's the robot helper uh, uh, direction. People, process, technology. Talks with practitioners about everyday life in the technology industry. This broadcast is supported by OWASP 
the Open Web Application Security Project, host of Call to Battle, a series of events for gamers, challenge champs, and fun nerds. Get more information at owasp.org events. And by Jupiter One, allowing you to know more and fear less through direct relationship mapping of all of your cyber assets. Thank you.